0: you remember what your front door looks like? The one at home. The one far away from here. What about the view from your bedroom window? Maybe you've strayed too far. Changed too much. But you don't know what you've changed into. You cannot go back home the same now. It was the home of some other thing. Something that once lived, and breathed, and looked just like you. Is that what you buried on your first night here, unbeknownst to anyone? You have given up so much to make this place your home, but all it does is take, and take, and take. This is The Elvet Mysteries, and I am your host, Livy Jones. Welcome to episode three, Whirring and Clicking. I wasn't sure I was going to get this done. Things have been there. There have been complications. I'm being swept away by something, and I'm not sure where I'm going to be at the end of it. It's difficult, isn't it? Half the time, I'm so happy to be here. The other half, I wondered why I even bothered when I clearly don't belong. It's one extreme to the other. When I first got here, I liked all my flatmates apart from Jeremy, and now he's the only one that'll actually talk to me. <laughs> I wouldn't mention this, but I think it's all related. Not that I seem to be able to stop myself from discussing my private life on air anyway. I dump my problems on people, whether or not they like it. My friends back home, Harriet, I've been expecting them all to deal with me without giving anything back. I've been so absorbed in this mystery, it- it- it's gnawing at me. I'm ignoring my work, the thing I came here for, and I'm walking alone at night in strange parts of the city. The other day, I was up on Palace Green by the cathedral when I saw lights, strange flickering things that appeared on the tops of the trees and along the parapets. I couldn't quite decide if the small golden points of light were in my imagination or not, but they were beautiful. I felt like I'd always belonged here, like I'd come home. But then there's other things. The persistent feeling of doom in my university accommodation. Shadows where shadows shouldn't be falling. I can't tell if the strange noises I keep hearing, or something odd, or just my flatmates having sex. Whatever it is, it doesn't sound human. Uh, oh, and before I read you the first story of the evening... Um, can the person who sent me the email, that reads, My ex-boyfriend has put a curse on me, and now whenever I cry, I think about Basil, please elaborate for me. It's not much of a story right now, and I didn't get any response when I emailed you back. Anyway, this story that's been sent in is called Silverfish.
1: There was a small infestation of silverfish in the events above Shower 15 but even without the bugs there were things that I should have paid more attention to, like the shallow holes that appeared on the soles of my feet. I moved into university not long ago and I'd done nothing but walk from classes and back again round and round the city so I wasn't too surprised when some of that callous skin started coming off. Then I noticed a small hole like a blister on my dead skin. I figured it must have been worn off by my shoes but there were more important things to think about. I put it to the back of my mind until I was in the shower one morning, pumice stone in hand. Between both my feet, I found three more that I hadn't noticed. Like, something had been picking away at me. There were a few strange things that started to happen around this time. I was having a lot of late nights. I was busy and forgetful, but more than once I found my door closed, but unlocked in the morning. It was out of character for me to be that scatterbrained. I could only make a mental note to be more careful. The second thing was less easily explained away. This particular piece of student housing backed onto the woods. It wasn't a big wood, but it was old and deciduous. It survived only where putting fields or university buildings were impractical. We'd encroached on it, pinning it back to where the land was steep or else alongside the river. It curled around the flats, obscuring the light on one side. My room looked away from the woods, out onto the courtyard. The view wasn't great, but I appreciated the natural light more. It was about 1am when a few of us were sat in my flatmate's room. I could never escape the light of my own. The courtyard seemed to be brightly lit from the moment the sun started to sink. Her window looked out into solid darkness. Our mutual friend seemed fascinated by it. What? He tilted his head back trying to see something out of the window. Lights, he said. Maybe an aeroplane. I moved to the window to see, and I saw it. Two lights, like bright stars or sparklers, moved through the top of the trees. They moved at an even pace and then vanished from sight. When I turned away from the window, I don't have the heart to tell him that you can't see the sky for the trees, that I couldn't think of any sensible explanation for the lights, and so I went to bed. I locked my door and I fell asleep. I dreamt about being in the shower. I was trying to turn on the water, but the dial was stiff, my hands slippery and I'm cold. A silverfish dropped from the vent above the ceiling, and I move out the way. I was bending down to rescue it when another fell in front of my face. Another hit my back. I tried to move away, but more fall. They fall from the vents and droves, crawling and squirming. I tried to move again, but there were so many of them I didn't know how to get past them. The shower was filled with them, past my ankles, crawling on my legs and up my back. I'm crying. Then, I felt them biting away at my feet. I kicked and flailed only to feel them burrowing under my skin. My room was dark, something had obscured the artificial light that streamed in from outside. It was fast, taking up half my room, its bulky form scraping the ceiling. Its eyes were like two sparklers in the dark, like distant planets on the horizon. I'm still dazed from my nightmare, still dreamlike. The thing was dark in the room around it, a shadow or a silhouette. It was hunched over. The protrusions from its back looked like tree branches. Smelled like moss and leaf mould. It reached out to my feet, uncovered by the duvet. Its nails were very long and thin. Carelessly it flicked off a piece of my skin from my feet, and then again. It picked holes. I felt this. The fear that was made out of day's confusion turned terror. I flinched, quickly reaching to flick on the lights. I was shaken so badly. The second that the lights take to come on is a second too long. But they come on, nonetheless. The creature scatters, and silverfish go running through every crack and every hole in the room. Underneath the door and the skirting board, anywhere that isn't sealed. I don't sleep that night. It takes me two days before I can return to my room. But when I do, I have a plan. I've half convinced myself I was dreaming, but... I couldn't deny the holes in my feet. I go to bed with heavy boots on, laced up to the top and a knife on my bedside table. Keep the lights on. When I woke up that night, it was because it was running its nails along the soles of my boots. The lights had been turned off. It saw me looking. A creature with eyes like sparkles me up on my foot. Its nails long, thin and spinning. Don't know if I'm screaming or unable to speak. Its nails slid like butter through the sole of my boot and into the skin of my foot. Then, I knew I was screaming. It scattered after that. I fell onto my bed, bleeding. Silverfish in my bed and in my hair, in my boot. I don't even bother to turn on the light. I know they're going for the cracks, for the holes. In the dark, I use my penknife by the side of my bed and slit open my laces. I throw the boot on my socks across the room. I pull the silverfish from the gash in my foot and squish it between my fingers. My other hand grips the wound. In this, at least, it's foiled. It's a week and a half before I go back to that room. I come back with friends, with industrial fillers and duct tape. Everything's sealed. The draft from the window, the gaps in the skirting boards, every corner of the room. I fit folded fabric in the gap under my door. I don't sleep alone for three nights. We take it in turns to sleep, like we're at war. We check the sealants hourly. We check the lock on the door. On the third night, I'm the one awake, and it's close to one in the morning. I've already checked the sealants when I see something pass in front of the lights outside. The room becomes dark. The only illumination is two spots of light, like distant planets on the horizon. Stops by my window, and then it moves on. In the year I've lived in the woods here, I've only seen it once since that night. Can't get in anymore. I seal my room every night, and I will do now, probably for the rest of my life, but it won't follow me, because people are busy and absent-minded, and things fall into disrepair easily, particularly when those things belong to students.
0: Sometimes I know the people who have sent in these stories, and sometimes I have no idea who they are. They send me a recording which we clean up, or I might meet them once to record it in the studio here. None of them seem to be especially strange or unusual. But I find myself worrying about them. All of us are trying to make sense of things that are far beyond our understanding. We've been scared, some of us more than others. None of us know how our stories are going to end. If there even is an end to this stuff. If it doesn't just keep dropping cryptic hints until we drop dead or it finally drives us mad. Some occurrences are strange, but don't seem to fit into a larger picture at all. I'm more confused than when I first started. I'm in over my head. It doesn't add up neatly or make a story that's easy to tell. But here we are. Here I am, telling it anyway. When I started, I thought this was going to be illuminating but I feel like I've just confused everything further. Um, Our second story of the evening is in the form of a letter. I don't know what to make of it, but here it is.
2: First, let me be clear, this is not a letter to you, Livy. This is for one of your listeners, and I need you to play it on air. It's definitely the kind of thing you've been looking for. Trust me. As for you, you know who you are. You love the esoteric as much as I did, and even in your current state, you'll be listening. I finally realized where it all started. It was in the Oriental Museum we visited after the Open Day. There was that lady I saw on the stairs as we were leaving. She was strangely dressed in 1930s clothes, a huge red coat, even in the unseasonably warm spring weather, white gloves, and her short, dark hair covered by one of those flapper-style ladies' turbans. She stared at me, fixedly. Her eyes were green. As she walked, it was as though she'd stepped on me, invaded some part of my personal space. The stairs were wide, but I couldn't escape the feeling of... It was more than being brushed past. It was like being held in a vice. Then, there was the smell. It didn't waft around her so much as it permeated the air, the smell of old, tall forests, rotting leaves, decomposing wood. It reminded me of small, crawly things. woodlice or millipes. I mentioned it to you. You said you hadn't noticed. Your expression was strange, and I realise now that she must have spoken to you. She wasn't looking at me as she passed us by. She'd been looking at you. You were so desperate to come to Durham to prove yourself. It was my own stupid fault. It's all I talked about. The glamour of university. The freedom. I hadn't meant to impose my ideas of what made a person successful onto you, but it had become your obsession. I took to making my grades look worse than they were. I spoke about university less and less. I was worried about you. But when the time came, and we went down to our sixth form and opened our results together, you matched grades in every subject. After that, we were even more inseparable. It took me until Easter to finally be drunk enough to ask you. (laughs) It so happened that you were drunk enough to answer. I recall everything of what you told me. I know that you started to look for another way out. That you became so desperate you'd do anything. And that was when you met her at the crossroads. You knew because you'd read all the books I'd lent you. When I talked, you'd listened. Listening to me was the thing that made you this way, and... I'm sorry. You told me she was a woman, maybe in her forties, dressed in a red coat with long white gloves and a flapper-style turban hat. She smelled like wood lice. She had green eyes. You remember shaking her hand, You remember her pulling you close, and up close the smell of rotten leaves was even stronger. It was overpowering. You remember telling her that you'll do anything to get the grades you need for Durham. You'll give anything up. You remember her breath on your face as she says, So be it. You leave her, stood watching you, a shadow in the dark. You go home and get into bed. I was horrified with you. Things were never the same after that. I started to notice the change in you, apathetic at suffering in a way you'd never been before. A dying bird on the pavement, a road accident, even your own suffering. I watched you accidentally cut yourself whilst chopping onions, and you didn't even flinch. If I asked you about incidents from our childhood, you'd either have forgotten them, or tell me that you didn't think they were as funny as I'd remembered. On the day you moved out, you asked me to return your key for you. I snuck into your room. Riffling through the bin, I found all of your sentimental pictures cut into pieces and the houseplants you'd been so desperate to keep alive, dead. The whole place stunk of leaf mold. I went back to the museum, and she was there. She was drawing one of the exhibits, but hadn't removed her gloves to do so. I sat down next to her, and the force of her presence nearly pushed me over. I could barely breathe. There was just the smell of old, old trees, and for the first time, the smell of something dead too. She didn't look up. The smell, the oppressive feeling, was too much. I was quailing. What's gonna happen? Whatever I want. Her pencil was pressing hard down onto the paper, the tip was breaking. I walked away. I could not deal with this alone. I walked deep into the woods one weekend, found a place where all the ancient trees stood in a circle. I took a freshly shot rabbit, and laid it at the foot of an oak, and waited. It took three hours. Then, a stag. It took the rabbit in its teeth, teeth that no stag had ever had before, and started to chew. Two can play at this game, my friend. In the two years that have passed, I have watched as you have excelled in every subject, as the people I cared for started to orbit around you and vanish from my social circles. I've watched you become colder. During a lecture, you once put your finger inside a pencil sharpener and twisted just to upset me. I think you're barely human. I've had to get things up. I cut my hair and buried it in the woods after you got your claws in the james. I won't tell you what happened to my chickens. I have ruined you, and you have ruined me, and that's only fair. But I will not let you ruin anyone else. I have put eyes everywhere. I see everything you do. I suppose you thought it was just graffiti, right? The word eyes repeated all through the city, written with white paint. I bet you never considered that it was me, making sure that you don't hurt anything else. Even after we leave the place that ruined us, after graduation, I will be behind you. I will never let this rest. I owe this to the person you were.
0: Oh, I'm uh, being called. Sorry, one second. Just let me... Uh... Um, who is this?
3: I'm Brenda. I I contacted you before.
0: You're, you're cult sweaters. You're the creepy girl.
3: You can hang up if you like, but I rang to apologize and to say something important.
0: Um, um... Fine, fine, go ahead.
3: I'm not human, Jones. My tonsils are made from amber. If I don't shave my legs, I grow Venus fly traps, and I'm unsure if I'm being metaphorical or not. I am something other, Jones. I live the very thing that has you on its outskirts. But still, I'm not without empathy. I should have known, recalled what it was like. I overstepped. I'm sorry.
0: Good. Good, you should be. It was inappropriate and creepy and- and. Are, are you okay?
3: I got everything I asked for, Jones.
0: Oh, why do you call me by my surname? Sorry, I, I just-
3: It's what you call yourself in your head. I know. I saw you. And I don't see people anymore. They slip from me. And when they catch more than a glimpse of me- Well, but you, I saw the whole of you, and I saw a future you could have had. But you have as much free will as anything ever does. I can't make that future for you. I shouldn't have tried. The future is going to happen regardless. You can't live around this nothingness, the uncertainty, forever. In order to live, you're going to have to deny it. Or become it.
0: What? Become what?
3: Think about your stories, Jones. They're all sent in by witnesses, but what about what or who they witnessed? What do you think they were, once? No, I
0: can't accept that.
3: Think about how strange life is. Think about what you want.
0: I'm I'm going to hang up now. I appreciated the apology.
3: Goodbye, Olive Jones. I won't phone again.
4: Okay, okay, okay. Is this is this really what it comes down to? Ignore everything you've seen or become some kind of god knows what oh my god, this has to be some kind of joke. None of this makes any fucking sense. I don't understand anything. I thought all of this meant something. I thought I thought there would be some kind of reason behind all of this. I thought it mattered, but is that it? I'm so scared I've made this giant mistake that I've done something terribly, terribly wrong. i pushed and pushed and pushed at this thing. I've been so obsessed and it's consumed me. All of my friends have abandoned me. The only person who talked to me is some guy I don't even like. I'm almost certainly failing my course at all because I saw a fucking bird th- fly through a pane of glass because I keep seeing strange things. All because I couldn't let it drop like some normal person. Instead, I'd let it ruin my life. I'm so fucking sick of this.
2: Fuck. I'm sorry.
0: I wish... I wish I could have given you some answers. Given you a story you actually wanted to hear. But that wasn't the story I told. That wasn't the story that was in me. It was this one. Good night. Thank you for listening. The Elvet Mysteries was produced by Kim Dean and Olivia Clark as part of Crow and Kettle Presents. It was written by Kim Dean. The voice of Livy Jones was Kim Dean. The voice of Brenda was Jordan Montgomery. Silverfish was read by Moe And the letter was read by Quinn Clark. Our original score, including the Elvet Mysteries theme, was created by Olivia Clark. You can find her on Instagram, at Olivia Clark Composition. Crow and Kettle is on Twitter, at Crow and Kettle. If you like this show, you might like our last podcast, Curse of Carmilla, a queer D&D gothic horror. Thank you so much for listening.